verse Romans chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. For, if you can, go ahead and stand, please, for reading of God's word. I didn't realize we were, still, we were sitting down. Go ahead and stand, please. Romans chapter 1, verse 8 says, For I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end you may be established, and you may be... All right, so we're, I'm taking the, uh, the title of the message tonight from verse 10. If you want to go ahead and look at me again with me at verse 10, it says, Make a request if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. So the title of our message tonight is, By any means, the will of God. By any means, the will of God. Um, I've no, I've, looking back on my life, there's been certain points where I could say, if I didn't make that decision, these next four or five things wouldn't have happened as a result. I could see the Lord leading me in hindsight to make those decisions. You know, leading me in hindsight to do this or do that, and how that's all built in your life and led you down the road the Lord wanted you to go down. So there's uh, points in our life where we got to face, face decisions. We need to make sure we're choosing the will of God and not our will, not our wants. So if you look at that first part of that verse, making request of verse 10, it says, it was Paul's earnest desire to see them and he presented the subject before God. He petitioned God. He asked God, making a request. And then if by any means, this tells us he was willing to do whatever it took to be able to do the will of God. Do we have the same attitude ourselves? And then we also, we have no excuse but to have that same attitude because we have a perfect example to follow. And that's in our Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, not my will, but thine will. Christ was submitting to God's will. Do we seek after God's will in our life? Do we follow God's will once we know it, and are we committed to do God's will with our life? The next part of the verse, now at length. Paul had purposed to go to Rome for a long time, but he kept having to wait on the Lord's timing. He kept having to wait. Now at length, he was willing to wait. Though he is anxiously wanting it to occur, he was willing to wait. And this expression in the Greek implies an earnest wish and a long-cherished purpose might be accomplished. So he's earnestly wishing, desiring to accomplish this purpose but he was willing to wait. Then we see a prosperous journey. Paul is praying for a safe and pleasant journey. We should make it a practice as Paul did to pray for safety as we travel and prosperous results as we seek to fulfill his will. And then by the will of God, Paul prefaced all he had to say by wanting to make sure it was all done according to God's will. This is the proper way to pray. We should all pray as our Savior prayed according to the will of God, or as Paul put it here, by the will of God. So Paul was thankful for the Roman church. He was thankful for their testimony. Verse 8 says, he look at it with, he says, spoken of throughout the whole world, referring to the Roman Christians, meaning the whole Roman Empire knew of the faith of the Christians in Rome. Travel was relatively common in that day, and all roads, as the saying goes, led to Rome. It is no wonder that the testimony of the church spread abroad so rapidly, and this growing witness made Paul's ministry easier as he went from place to place, he was able to point to this testimony, point to the testimony of the church at Rome, and talk about that. The church at Rome had a great testimony. So this leads me to a question. What kind of testimony do we personally have for Christ? Does your whole world, your friends, your job, your influence, your family, does your whole world know of your testimony of Christ, know of your salvation, 
The whole world at that time knew of the Roman church, their testimony for Christ. Does your whole own personal world know of your testimony, know of your testimony for Christ? Does your school know of your testimony for Christ? Does your family know of your testimony for Christ? And if they know of your testimony, is it a good testimony or is it a not-so-good testimony that they know? Do people you work with know of your testimony for Christ? Have you witnessed? Have you had taken that appropriate time to be able to witness to somebody at work or your friends or your family? Are we actively proclaiming the word of God, sharing the word of God, getting that great testimony like the Roman church had? Do we have that kind of testimony? Does your whole world know of your faith in Christ? Are you sharing it with others? And how is your testimony concerning Christ to others? Does your testimony make it easier to share the gospel with others? Or does your testimony hinder your ability to share the gospel with others? Do you live your life like a Christian everywhere, 24-7, Monday through Saturday? I mean, Sunday through Saturday, or do you live like a Christian Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and sometimes on Wednesday night? Do we live like a Christian on those specific times, or do we live like a Christian all the time? Does our testimony make it easier or harder to share the gospel? Look at me again at verses 9 and 10. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means, now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. They did not know of Paul's prayer support at this time, but the Lord knew about it, and the Lord honored it. I wonder how many of us know all the people who are praying for us. I doubt we do. But how many countless people across the country or across the world possibly are praying for us specifically, and we don't know that. The Roman church this time didn't know Paul was praying for them specifically, but he was. So one of the burdens of Paul's prayer was that God would permit him to visit Rome and minister to the churches there. He would have visited them sooner, but his missionary work had kept him busy. He was about to leave Corinth for Jerusalem as he's writing this to deliver the special offering they had collected from the Gentile churches to give to the poor Jewish saints. He hoped he would be able to travel from Jerusalem to Rome and then on to Spain, and he was hoping for a prosperous journey. Do you pray like you should? Do you pray for fellow Christians in general like you should? Like Paul did. Paul prayed for a prosperous journey to Rome, but actually Paul had a very perilous journey to Rome. And he arrived in Rome a prisoner as well as a preacher. In Jerusalem, he was arrested in the temple, falsely accused by the Jewish authorities, and eventually sent to Rome as the emperor's prisoner to be tried before Caesar. Paul wrote this letter. Excuse me. When Paul wrote this letter, he had no idea that he would go through imprisonment and even shipwreck before arriving in Rome. At the close of the letter, Paul asked the believers in Rome to pray for him as he contemplated this trip. And I'd say it's a good thing that he asked for prayers concerning this trip. We never know what we're going to encounter. So we should always bathe everything we do, every action, every trip, all of our plans, be bathed in prayer. And we should ask others to pray for us as we are considering major decisions. So now look back at me in verse 8. We got our introduction done. Now let's look back at me in verse 8. Dig a little deeper now. Verse 8 says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. First, I thank my God. First, I thank my God. Paul says, first, I thank my God, the God whom I worship and serve. The expression of thanks to God for his mercy to them was given to help prepare them for the truths with which he was about to communicate with them. He was thanking them. If you know Romans chapter 1, a few verses later, he's really getting into some, some stuff with them. So he first says, I thank my God. He's preparing them for the truths he was about ready to communicate to them. It showed the deep interest which Paul had 
for their welfare. He had a deep interest in their welfare, a deep interest in the people he was ministering to. Do we also have that deep interest in people we're ministering to? Do we have that deep interest in people we've never even met? He didn't never even met a lot of these people. He had a deep interest in them. They were on his heart. Do we have that kind of deep interest to, to someone that we've never met that visits our church? Do we have that deep interest in ministering to them and wanting to lead them to Christ? Just as Paul had that deep interest, our Savior had a deep interest in people. We need to have a deep interest as they did. You notice the next phrase says, Through Jesus Christ. The duty of presenting our thanks to God through Christ is often referred to in the New Testament. i got a couple examples, Ephesians 5.20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then Hebrews 13.15. By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name through Jesus Christ. Christ is a mediator between God and men or the medium by which we are to present our prayers, also our thanksgivings. We need to depend on Christ to present our cause, to plead our case, to plead our concerns to God. First Timothy 2 finds us, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now if you notice another phrase in, that, in verse 8, it says, For you all, on account of you all, on account of the entire Roman church. This shows us that the church had a remarkably pure faith, an earnest faith at this time. How few churches have there been of whom a similar commendation could be expressed? First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. He was thankful for every single person in the Roman church. That your faith, next part of that verse, that your faith, the readiness with which the Romans had embraced the gospel, the firmness with which they adhered to it was so remarkable that it was known and celebrated everywhere. The same thing is affirmed to them again in Romans 16, 19. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. So Paul mentions it twice. Through the whole world unto all men. The reputation of the Roman church. And then look at the end of verse 8. It says, is spoken of throughout the whole world. Their great faith, their great testimony is celebrated or known. They were in the capital of the Roman Empire in a city remarkable for its wickedness. In a city whose influence extended virtually everywhere. It was natural, therefore, that their remarkable conversion, their, their act of living almost exactly opposite of how all those around them lived, was a remarkable testimony of the conversion of the power of Christ to change a life. Their faith was spoken of. Their testimony was spoken of throughout the whole world. Is your faith spoken of throughout your whole world? If it is, how is it spoken of? Are you demonstrating that kind of Christ-likeness in your life or your faith is spoken of or are you demonstrating something that the world will seem like, well, that's not much different than what I've got, so why should I be interested in that? We need to make sure we are living our faith, not just speaking our faith, not just, we need to make sure we are actively living our faith. So now let's go on to verse 9. It says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Charles Spurgeon made this comment about this verse. He said, Little did he dream that his prayers are to be answered by his being conveyed in chains to the great city. Very mysterious are the Lord's ways of granting our requests. We're praying for something in our life. Are you sure you're ready for the answer? Are you sure are you ready for the answer? Paul prayed to go to Rome. Paul went to Rome. I'm sure Paul would have preferred a different way to go to Rome. But God answered Paul's prayer. He took him to Rome. Are we prepared for the answers to our prayers. Are we really prepared for those answers? Are you personally surrendered and personally prepared for the answers to your prayers the Lord may bring your way? His ways are above our ways. 
God may answer your prayers, but it might not be in the way you were thinking or the way you were expecting or the way you kind of in your mind kind of told the Lord, I need this answer, but I'm going to tell you exactly how you can take care of it, Lord. I'm, you know, I've got this all figured out for you. We need to just submit to the Lord whatever he directs, whatever, however he answers, we need to be prepared to accept that answer. If you notice again in verse 9, it says, For God is my witness. The reason for this strong appeal to God is to show to the, show to the Romans a deep interest Paul felt in their welfare. This interest was manifest in his prayers and his earnest desires to see them. A deep interest shown in this way was well fitted to prepare them to receive what all he had to say, because he had a lot coming to tell them. Those we minister to, do we have, again, do we have this deep personal interest that Paul demonstrated over and over again in their lives? Do we have that deep personal interest and burden for those that we minister to? Next, let's look at whom I serve. This expression denotes that Paul was devoted to God in this manner, that he obeyed him and had given himself over to do his will in making known his gospel. Have we done the same in our lives? Have we given ourselves over to God's will for our life? Can we truly say we are a servant? I am a servant of you, Christ. I'm a servant of you, Lord. Or do we still want to serve ourselves in certain areas of our life? Paul says, whom I serve. I serve God. I serve Christ. But do we keep part of our lives to ourselves and we kind of serve our own wants, our own will, our own desires? Or have we given it all over to Christ? Have we laid all on the altar, given it all over to Christ? And are we really, truly serving him? Can we really, truly say, whom I serve in total, not in 50%, not in 75% of my life, but whom I serve in total. I mean, really, have we really given ourselves over to him? Have we had that inward heart condition that reflects into our outward actions? Or do we just kind of display outward actions for certain people to see, and the inward heart isn't truly given over to Christ? James 2, 17, 18, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Are we prepared for what God has planned for us? Are we prepared for what God has planned for us? God has a plan for all of our lives. It may take us in a different direction we weren't expecting. Are we prepared for that plan? Are we ready to surrender to that plan as soon as we know it? Are we prepared for what God has planned for us? Next phrase, once you look at it, is with my spirit. It is not an external service only. It is not merely an external service we do for God. It is internal. It should be real. It should be authentic service to God. Not just on the outside. It should come from the inside and go to the outside. We shouldn't just try to put it on the outside for certain people to see. It should be real, authentic, internalized first, and then displayed through our actions, displayed through how we live. The Apostle Paul was really and sincerely devoted to the service of God. Are we? Are we really and sincerely devoted to the service of God? Are we authentic in our faith? And what we do for God and his people, are we doing it just because it's the motions, it's the thing to do, it's, it's what I've committed to do, or are we authentic, are we actually wanting, desiring to do that thing for God, wanting and desiring to serve God in that, in that aspect, in that way? Are we authentic in our faith? Have we eternalized it first and then work it, have it work its way out of us? Are we authentic, or do we perhaps have a little bit of hypocrisy in some of our actions and the things we do for the Lord? Are we authentic? Next thing is, in the gospel of his son. This means in making known the gospel or as a minister of the gospel. Are we doing this in our own life? Are we making known the gospel not only in our words, but in our deeds, in our testimonies, in the examples we set? Are we making known the gospel? Next phrase, I want you to look at is that without ceasing. This means constantly, always, without intermission, not only once, but repeatedly. First Thessalonians 1, 2 says, We give thanks to God always 
for you all making mention of you in our prayers always, without ceasing, repeatedly. Are we consistently, repeatedly, consistently serving God? Is our faith, is our testimony consistent? It goes without ceasing that we're serving God. And then look again, I make mention always. Paul is saying, I call you to remembrance, and I present your case before God. This demonstrates his remarkable interest in a church which he had never seen. And it shows that Paul was a man of prayer, praying not for his friends and kindred only, but for those whom he had never seen. If with the same intensity of prayer all Christians remember the churches and other Christians in prayer, what kind of tremendous effect could we do to the world if we would all pray like Paul did? Pray for our, pray for our kindred, pray for our church, or pray for other churches throughout the world, and earnestly and fervently, authentically pray for them. What kind of difference the world, the church, could make throughout the whole world, throughout the whole world? Ian Bounds made this comment on prayer. Pray and never faint is the model Christ gives for us for praying. It is the test of our faith, and the severer the trial, the longer the waiting, the more glorious the results. Now we're getting to where I wanted to get to. Verse 10. But we had to, we had to build the foundation to get there. Verse 10, read that with me again. Making requests if by any means, now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. If by any means... By the will of God, by any means, the will of God. So what is God's will for my life? Most Christians have asked a question like this at some point in time. It may often be asked pertaining smaller things, or it could be pertaining more significant things, like what the Lord wants you to do for him, your career, where to live, etc. Notice the first part of verse 10 says, making request. That has the meaning of begging. Paul was desperate to know the will of God for his life, begging to know the will of God. How about you? Are you desperately seeking out the will of God for your life? Are you desperately begging God to know for sure what his will is for your life? Next part of the verse says, if by any means. Paul was willing to do whatever it took to fulfill God's will for his life. Are you willing to do whatever it took to fulfill God's will for your life? Are you willing to say and to actually mean it by any means the will of God. Now at length, no matter how long it took to know and to do God's will, Paul was willing to wait. How about us? Do we willingly wait on the Lord as the Bible commands us? Could we say, if by any means, no, long, no matter how long I have to wait, Lord, the will of God? Do we willingly wait on the Lord's will? Next part of that verse says, I, I might have a prosperous journey. Paul prayed for the Lord to bless his efforts. How about us? Do we have the kind of prayer life we should have? Do we pray for the Lord to bless our efforts? And then the will of God, are we sincerely seeking the Lord's will in all facets of our life? If by any means, the will of God. Do we live by this thought? Do we live by this statement? Could this be the model of our life? By any means, the will of God. So how can we live in harmony with the will of God? Paul mentioned his desire to live in harmony with God's will as he made plans to visit his brethren in Rome and as he prayed regarding such plans, Paul sought to find a way by the will of God. Paul's comments in verse 10 provide an opportunity for us to consider some thoughts related to the will of God, especially in how to determine God's will for our lives. By any means, the will of God. We should always seek to live by this thought and by this statement, by any means, the will of God. I want, I want that phrase to kind of stick with you throughout the week, by any means, the will of God. So let's look at some facets of God's will. First, you have God's proclaimed will. God has made his will known in many aspects. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And then another example is in 1 Peter 2.15, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye might put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. 
You have God's proclaimed will. He's proclaimed his will through revelation by sending the inspired prophets, by sending his son, by having the Holy Spirit guide the apostles, the prophets of old, into writing the Bible. We have God's proclaimed will. That which is essential for us to know God has been proclaimed in his scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Notice it says all scripture, not just New Testament, but all scripture is given for our benefit. Then you have God's providential. We have the proclaimed will. Now let's look at God's providential will. God acts providentially in our lives, and that is implied in our text and also mentions here in Romans 15:32 that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. God sets chains of events uh, in, in action. He starts them. He shapes events. He moves moments. He moves events. He arranges circumstances. He gives us opportunities all by his will and in his timing. And I've seen that over and over again. Hindsight, 2020, over again in my life where God has just arranged circumstances, given me opportunities. He's, he's used, trained, given me the training I needed at the time I needed it. If by any means... The will of God. So for such a reason, we are to pray regarding our future plans, that they be, they be done by the will of God. James 4, 13 and 15 says, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor, that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live, and do this or that. By God's will, by the Lord's will. Our prayerful petitions are answered as it may suit the will of God. 1 John 5:14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. According to his will. We're to always pray to God and petition God according to his will. Not our will or wants, which I've been guilty of petitioning I want, Lord, I want you to fill my will in this situation. You need to be petitioning God according to his will, not our will, not our wants. If by any means, the will of God. Are you willing to put your will on the altar and accept God's will in its place? By any means, the will of God. So isn't this how, isn't this how our Savior prayed? He's asking us to pray by according to God's will, but didn't our Savior pray the same way? Isn't this how Jesus prayed according to God's will? The least we can do is follow his example and pray the same way. So we have God's proclaimed will, God's providential will, and now we have God's permissive will. God allows things to happen that are not necessarily according to his desired will. This can also be looked at in the fact that God has given man a free will. God wants us to do right and live right and follow him, but he will not make us do that. People are allowed to sin, even hurt each other. But this does not mean that God is okay with that or God approves of that. God will eventually judge all men according to what they have done. Acts 17, 30, 31. In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in that which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. God allows people to do things that are indifferent to him. This, again, is an example of allowing us to exercise our free will. So we looked at some facets of God's will. Now let's look at finding God's will. How do we find God's will? We need to focus on the proclaimed will of God, first off. 
need to diligently study and learn what God says in his word, and that will help us determine what his proclaimed will is. I mean, his will for our lives will be determined by how much we study God's will. You need to be studying and focusing on the proclaimed will of God, the Bible, and that will help us find God's will for our life. If we do not embrace and practice the revealed will of God, the Bible, and what it teaches us, how can you ever discover God's specific will for your life? There is much value to be gained by focusing on the already revealed will of God for our life. By focusing on it, diligently learning it, we will not be ignorant of what is essential for us to know and essential for us to do. By any means, the will of God. Are you willing to study put the time in in God's word? By any means, the will of God. By focusing, learning, knowing, and applying the already proclaimed will of God, we avoid tragic, sinful mistakes and missteps in our life. Next thing on finding God's will, seek the advice and prayer of others. Every major decision I've ever done, I've sought advice and prayer of others. Proverbs 11:14 says, Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. And then Proverbs 12:15, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Let me read that one more time. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. If you want to make foolish decisions, then go against God's will. Don't seek godly counsel. But if you want to make wise decisions in accordance with God's will, then seek out godly counsel, then listen to the godly counsel. We need to also consult wisdom we can find in the Bible, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, we can consult those too, but seek the advice and prayer of others. Seek godly counsel and actually listen to godly counsel and take that godly counsel and act on that godly counsel. Another thing we can do to determine God's will, find God's will for our life is ask God for wisdom. We need to be praying diligently for the ability to discern wisely what God's will is for us. James 1, 5 to 8 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Wisdom is that God-given spiritual insight that enables you to evaluate situations clearly and helps utilize what options and abilities you have. We need to be using such wisdom to eliminate what appears to be less acceptable. We should be seeking the great or the perfect for our life, not just settling with the good. Next thing to think about is committing our way to the Lord. Once we determine God's will for our life, we need to commit to follow through with that for our life, committing our will, committing to follow God's will with our life. Whatever we do, we need to be doing it for the Lord's sake. Psalm 35, excuse me, Psalm 37, 5 to 6 says, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Commit thy way unto the Lord. If by any means the will of God, commit to the will of God. Do the will of God. Make your plan subject to the will of God. Subject both to the proclaimed and providential will of God. Give God permission to close a door you may be choosing if that is his will. Let me say that one more time. Give God permission to close that door that you want open, that door that you want to go through. Give God permission to close that door if it be his will. I had to do that in my life. I had a, If anybody would ask, they'd know exactly where I had plans to go, and that wasn't Arizona. And so, and so I had to give God permission wherever you want me to, Lord. This is where I've, I've been kind of holding your will back. Wherever you want me to go, I'm willing to go. Then after I kind of surrendered that to God, things started moving quickly after that point. So give God permission to close the door of your choice if that is his will. 
If God closes the door of your choice, look to be providentially led to another door. Eventually, God will give you the desires of your heart, and you will overwhelmingly desire to do that which is God's will. Psalm 37, 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. God will work out his will where you will overwhelmingly desire to, the desire to do that. He will put that desire in your heart to do his will. He will give you that desire. It doesn't necessarily mean, oh, I desire riches, I desire this, and God's going to give you what you desire, but God will put those desires in your heart if you allow him to do that, and you will desire to do what God wants you to do with your life. So look at some other things to consider, then we'll start closing our message. Some other things to consider. God is not like a train. He's able to run on more than one track. A choice may not, between, may not be between good or bad, but between good and better or what is the perfect will of God in our life. Don't think you need to choose right away. Learn to wait on the Lord and learn to wait on his direction and will for your life. Learn to wait on the Lord's timing. We may be in a rush sometimes, but we just need to submit and wait on the Lord's timing. Wait on the Lord to work it out his way and in his time. Psalm 27, 14, a verse I've been going to a lot. Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. If by any means, you know that means waiting, the will of God. Whatever you find to do in your life, whatever circumstances you're in, don't be lazy about it. Do it with all your might for God. Ecclesiastes 9, 10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whether thou goest. If you were once called to do something specific, you think, I might have blown it, I might have messed up my life, stop thinking that way. The Bible teaches us in those situations we have a God of the second chance. We have a God that wants to still use you. We can think of Moses, we can think of Jonah, David, Paul. All these people, all these men made mistakes, but God was still able to use them in his way, miraculously use them to do things according to his will. So don't limit God and what he can do with your life. God has a will. God has a plan for your life. Don't put limits on God. God can still use you. Romans eleven twenty nine. for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God will use you in the way you never thought possible if you submit your will to him. We serve a mighty and all-powerful God. God can and God will. God can do anything. Do not limit God with your opinions. Do not limit God with your traditions. Do not limit God with your thoughts. Do not limit God with your fears. Do not limit God. God can and God will. Trust the Almighty, all-powerful, all-merciful, loving God and eagerly submit to his will for your life. By any means, the will of God. Matthew Henry said this concerning Romans 1.10. He said, As in our purpose, so in our desires, we must still remember to insert this, if the Lord will. So in our conclusion, our goal for our life should be to stand perfect and complete in all the will of God, Colossians 4.12. And by any means, pursue the will of God with our life. Our goal should be this, especially as this pertains to the proclaimed will of God, and as much as possible to the providential and permissive will of God. We should keep the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, constantly in the forefront of our minds. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, Matthew 6.10. Remember, Jesus also set the example for us and prayed, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. Matthew chapter 26. Are you seeking by any means to find and then do the will of God? By any means, find and do the will of God. By any means, the will of God. 
Put your will, your wants, your desires, your preferences, your thoughts all on the altar today and live by this thought and this model. By any means, the will of God.